Now, I'm going to be uh, quick this morning. We have uh, an, another uh, great event happening in our service, which is a baby dedication, which people have told me is far more important than me talking. So uh, I've uh, been told to uh, not take up too much time. And so in my preparation, I did the, the thing that everybody does when they're looking for well-informed content, and I googled fathers. I thought, well, surely that will give me a, a good indication of, of what fatherhood is like. And I'll just show you a couple, a couple, a couple of the pictures that I found. And these are, these are just the first ones that turn, turned up. So I, I just want to let you know that I have not attempted to be politically correct uh, and gathering my representative fathers here. These are just the first ones I plucked off uh, Google. And so we've got this, this, this whole range of pictures of of, of fathers of different ages and stages of life. But I suddenly thought, well, in all of these pictures of fathers, there's something else. What is it? Children. Exactly. And suddenly I thought, well, I know you're going to say, duh. But to be a father, there have to be children involved. Um, and I guess the same works for mothers as well, but it's Father's Day, so I'm not going to talk about you. And so whenever you see pictures of a father, there's always somebody else in the frame. Children are essential to the title of father. And so that got me thinking about some of the fathers in the Bible, because after all, it's Father's Day, and, and this is church, so th this is the sort of thing you do. And uh, I looked at fathers in the Bible, and I thought, well, there's a lot of them. Um, and it got me thinking, uh, we've had enough of that, good. What's the first mention of children in the Bible? And I looked and... And I think Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1 is probably a good, uh, a good beginning point. It actually says, Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Now this irritated me from the get-go. I thought, how come Adam gets no credit here? And uh, I nearly went off on a tangent and... and preached about how fathers get left out, but I thought that was it's probably not what we need. Um, but it's interesting that this, this, this whole idea of the first child that came along happened sometime after Adam and Eve's disobedience has led to their expulsion from the Garden of Eden. And they received good news on their expulsion, the best sort of parental news that you can ask for. Eve gets told that pregnancy from here on in is going to be a painful experience, for her and her descendants. And uh, Adam is told that he's going to have to uh, struggle to make a living for the rest of his life, and so are all his descendants. And so here we get the pattern of uh, work and painful um, childbirth uh, that carries on to some degree today. And I thought, that's, that's all a bit depressing. And then I thought, well, it's interesting. Can you tell me a place in the Bible where there are no children? Anybody want to hazard a guess, throw out an answer? People who were at the chapel service aren't allowed to. Well, there's an obvious place. There were no children in the Garden of Eden. And so that actually begs the question, was the Garden of Eden an adults-only paradise? <laughs> I don't mean it like that. <laughs> It's a, don't, these were fathers who did that, weren't they? I, can, I can't see you out there, but it was probably dads who, who laughed at that because we like that. Um, and so, 
So the question is, do you think God wanted there to be children in the Garden of Eden? And my supposition from reading uh, Genesis indicates that there is. Genesis 1.27 says that God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. And this was before they ate the apple. So this, God's plan was obviously for them to multiply and have children. And this was something that was dear to his heart. I mean, interestingly enough, humankind are the only part of his creation he ever had to issue the command, go out and multiply. I mean, he, he, he made rabbits and didn't say anything. <laughs> but I think they knew what to do. And it sort of begs the question, were Adam and Eve a bit dumb when it came to that sort of thing? Uh, and I, I actually don't think that was the, the question, although I did have sort of visions in my mind of them standing there before God, both starkers. And if you think about it, Adam has never met a woman before. And so he's looking sort of same, same, but different. Um, and uh, you can imagine him sort of saying to God, well, okay, thanks, but... No, but I don't think that's what... So you can take that picture as far as you want. Um, but I believe that God's command for mankind to multiply was the fact that he had created the Garden of Eden as a place where he could have uh, intimate communication with his creation, with Adam and Eve. And that communication was so great for them, that he wanted to be able to share that with Adam and Eve's children and their children's children, so that there would be a, a, a constant communication that they could have with God, because we know that they actually walked in the garden with God. Genesis 3.8 says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they actually, they got, got to hang out with God. Who wouldn't want their kids to be able to hang out with God? And so I believe that was part of, it was so important in God's plan that children be involved in this, that that's why he gave the command, go forth and multiply. Not because they were silly and didn't know how to multiply. Um, it was because it was an important part of his plan to pass on that relationship that he had with them onto their offspring. And so this, this of course, to me, makes several things really clear. I mean, I don't know as a parent whether you've often and it's usually in the very beginning, although sometimes around teenage years, the, the thought that children should have come with an instruction manual comes to mind. Has that ever happened to anybody? You sort of think that, you know, instead of an afterbirth, an instruction manual might be better. And it could have, have names on it. You know, this is Kirsty's instruction manual. Do not confuse it with Ben's because the same things are not going to work uh, with it, both of them. And so my thought was, that, of course, if everything had gone to plan, we wouldn't need an instruction manual for children because we'd be, we, we'd be walking with our creator who we'd, we'd be able to get parenting advice from, you know, right from the source. But because of the way things turned out, because of the mistakes that Adam and Eve made, it's been a, a long journey for us to actually discover who God is as a father and what his characteristics are and, and what his character is like so that we as fathers can can take on God's characteristics as, as a, in our own fatherhood. Um, fathers can have a great influence on your life. Um, I, I married my wife because of my father. Um, he, sort of, he sort of forced... 
Well, it was a bit of an arrangement. Well, no, I mean, you think about it. When we were uh, 16, uh, Vicky got her first car. And uh, it was a... Uh, well, no, perhaps it was... I can't remember which car it was, but anyway. Uh, my father wanted to drive it. And, you know, when you've got a car, you like to be the first person to prank it. Um, it wasn't the case with Vicky's car. Um, the, um, there was a, a slight accident that happened while Dad was driving it. And uh, because of that, I had to marry Vicky because the, the, shame, <laughs> the shame was just too great to bear. Um, and so that, that, that was it. I had, to, I had to cover for his sin by... Uh, so, it, yes, definitely an arranged marriage. Um, but that was just a good excuse to tell a story that would embarrass my dad. Uh, <laughs> um, um, he's going to tell me afterwards that he doesn't remember any of that. Because it was a fair while ago. Um, but anyway, uh, because of the, this idea that you know, we, we struggle to know what we need in our lives to be good fathers, because we struggle to actually know and identify the characteristics of God that we need. And uh, it's actually been great over the last month or so, we've been walking through uh, the characteristics of God, who God is, what his light, what his name means, what, what his main uh, character traits are. And we can emulate that, but we've first of all really got to discover what that is. And we discovered, for instance, that he's into restoring and repairing relationships. As soon as mankind rebelled, as soon as Adam and Eve left the garden, God sent into place a redemptive plan to get that relationship back. And so we know that that's important in our fatherhood to maintain and to repair, if need be, and develop our relationships with our children. We discovered these patient, kind, loving, and forgiving. Sounds like hard work, doesn't it? But he's also prepared to discipline his children out of that love. And we discovered how different that is when you discipline children out of a love for them than if you discipline children out of an anger of the sins that they've committed. And uh, that's something also that we need to take on board as fathers. Uh, we discovered that he's a father who gets happy and sad and even really, really mad at the antics of his children. But the fact that he never lets his emotions get up there so that it covers or takes away his love for us. It doesn't take away from his plans or his purposes for his children. And so as fathers, I think we can spend a lifetime trying to get the balance of these qualities right for our own children. For every situation we seem to get right, there's another one that we look back and think we probably stuffed that one up. Um, hopefully one doesn't outweigh the other too much. But I think as fathers, the, the legacy we can best leave is the one that reflects the best of us in our children. Notice that God didn't actually come as our saviour. He sent his son. That's significant. One of the hardest things, I believe, as a parent is to let go responsibility to your children. And some, sometimes it goes well, and sometimes uh, there's a few mistakes along the way, and sometimes it actually hurts fathers more. Um, as, a, as a great example, you know, my father was that, is actually a lot cleverer than he lets on. Um, I know that he, he determined with me that he was never going to be so expert in anything that I would feel intimidated to try stuff. 
Uh, whenever we did things together, I noticed that he became inexpert very quickly so that I could feel good about the fact that I did things better than him. He used to, he used to for instance, uh, he was a librarian and so was my mother. And so I grew up in a house full of books. Every, every school holidays, there'd be three or four hundred books lying around the house that were going to be catalogued for the school library. And I was given a small stack of books that were suitable for me. And in, in, with a great flourish and with many loud voices and admonitions, I was told that these books were unsuitable for me. I was not to read them. I would not find them interesting whatsoever. And they were way beyond my age level. And I just would not waste my time reading that stuff. Just read these. And of course, what did I do? You can't tell me what to do. <laughs> and so I would devour all of these books. The only books I wasn't allowed to read were Biggles. My father hated Biggles with a passion. <laughs> he said it wasn't literature or anything. But Of course, I snuck in a few Biggles as well without my dad knowing. But he, he, was, he was able to hand over things that were, became um, confidences in my life because he was able not to be too expert at them. Now, I, I struggled with that, because uh, I like to be an expert at things, mainly my dad's fault, because he let me. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, e even, even with my son, uh, Ben, who's away in Canada enjoying himself at the moment, um, uh, for 20 years I was the graphic designer for this church. I did all the church backgrounds. Um, I actually had to do that one, because he's away, but... Um, <laughs> I did brochures and pamphlets and websites and all, all that sort of stuff. And suddenly this young upstart comes along and I discover that he's been appointed the, uh, the graphics person for the church. And the other people have taken on web stuff and suddenly I get told in no uncertain terms I'm actually not allowed to be involved in that. I cannot be the expert anymore. And I had to realise that my job was actually to be the foundation to boost other people on my shoulders and let them do better and greater things than I could do. Because I've discovered I've handed it over to a generation of people who are better at it than me. And that's almost as hard to say as the Fonz. If anybody... I'm... Incorrect. But that's, I believe, as fathers, that's, that, that's the example that God set. God the Father could have come to earth and said, hey, this is me, do as you're told. But he sent Jesus as a man to take on the task that he had set him. And there's a, there's a great passage in John 14, 9, where Jesus, speaking with this guy Philip, he says, I've been with you all this time, Philip, and you don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show you him? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. All too often when people say, you're just like your father, it's not a compliment. We need to turn that around so that we, when people can see us in our children, it's because of the characteristics of God that we have put into our own lives and passed them on as a living inheritance to our sons and daughters. John 14, 6. And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me.
That's a great responsibility. Now, I'm not sure that we should actually put that responsibility onto our own children. But it's a great example of the fact that God loves us so much as our Father in heaven that he was prepared to send his son for our salvation. And I want us to, I want us to pray a prayer this morning because of that. And I want us to pray it all together. Actually, can I ask you all to stand? And because of our, our time restraints, I'm not going to ask anybody to come out the front right now. But if you're here this morning and you've never prayed a prayer which says that you accept the sacrifice that Jesus made as the Son of God for your life, to be able to call yourself a Christian, a, a follower of Jesus, then I want, to, I want to give you that opportunity to start on that path this morning. God has a family which is open by invitation. God invites us to be a part of that family. But until we actually accept that invitation, He doesn't take us on board. And this isn't just a, a mental ascent thing. I mean, who, who knows that being part of a family has its rough times? The family of God is exactly the same. It's not a question of saying, well, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour because my life's going to go on really well because I do that. No. It's an invitation to become part of a family, warts and all. There are going to be good times and bad times. It's not a... Accepting Jesus isn't, isn't a shooing into heaven with the rest of your life turning out with the flashing lights and, and uh, easy street. It's actually a challenge to take on the faith that God has our future in his hands and we're willing to place our faith and trust in him. So if you've never done that, this morning as we pray this prayer, I want you to mean what you say, to actually take on board that, to take a step to moving in the direction of following Jesus Christ. If you've done it before, you're here and you said, well, I've, I've done that, but I know that my life isn't a life that's part of a family. I've rejected or forgotten or lost that connection. God never says no. If you want to come back, he'll always accept that repentance. And so I want us to pray a prayer all together, just quickly, to enable people to accept that love of a family, that they can be part of the family of God, a follower of our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you all pray with that prayer with me together? After me. Dear Lord Jesus, from this moment on, I turn away from my old life and take on a new one, following you as my Lord and as my Saviour. I thank you for saving me. I am now a follower of Jesus. I repent of my sin and I believe that I am forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen. And before I finish, I just want us to, to pray for fathers. If you're, um, if you're brave enough to admit you're a father, uh, can I get you to raise your hand? 
Um, and if you're not a father and you're around those people, if you just perhaps uh, put a hand gently on their shoulder. Uh, and I just want to pray a prayer over them uh, that uh, we can all join in. Mighty God, I thank you for fathers today. I thank you that you have blessed them with a unique gift, that gift of fatherhood that we are called to explore and to use as part of our life. And I thank you that as our children grow up, as our families expand, as our families grow, that that gift, that vision, that purpose that you've put inside of us as fathers flows out of us into the lives of our children, into the lives of our families, and that they are blessed because we are full of your spirit and your blessing that we're passing on to future generations as we emulate our Father in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.